Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Thirteen. We're going to conclude tonight with the last message of... Uh, the book of Hebrews, this will be number 24 in the series. We've been several weeks throughout the book of Hebrews, and I wanted to wait until tonight now to finish it instead of doing it this morning. We're going to read the first nine verses. You will notice that as we do so, that last Sunday night, our subject was verse number one, Let brotherly love continue. And we will then continue from that point, from verse 2 through 9, and that will end this particular series. Hebrews chapter 13, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, continuing the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart to be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. And may the Lord bless this reading of his word. The writer of Hebrews gives some very practical advice to the Christian in these last verses as to how we ought to act and behave. And he begins in the first verse by telling us to continue loving our brethren. But he does not stop there. We dealt with brotherly love last Sunday night. He goes on in verse 2 to advise us on some things. Let me read it to you again. Follow there. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You know, one of the first things that happens to a person when he becomes a Christian is that he has a totally different viewpoint of other people. He sees them differently. Even the stranger he sees differently. You may remember 
In the book of Philippians, Paul was in jail. And he and Silas and others were singing. And their singing carried throughout the jail to the ears of the jailer. And then in the middle of the night, all of the bars of the prison were open and the shackles around the hands and feet of the prisoners let go and the jailer came to find out what had happened and, for, and he was afraid that all of his prisoners had escaped and was ready to kill himself or he would have been executed had they done so. When Paul cried out and said to him, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. None of us have left the prison. And that man came in and fell down before Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul explained the process of salvation, what is necessary. The man believed and received Jesus into his heart. The thing I want you to notice is not the, ma the matter that he was saved, but the reaction that he had after he was saved. He was the very person who would have laid the stripes on the back of Paul and Silas. The very man who put the shackles on the hands and feet and made sure that they were tight. And now that he has been converted, now that Jesus Christ has taken up residence in his life, he takes these same people and he treats their wounds. He takes them to his home and cares for them. He puts salve on the sores and he, he binds up the wounds, puts bandages around them, and he lovingly cares for them. A person is transformed and changed by the power of God. From being one who would be spiteful to anybody to being one who will love anybody. And when that takes place, you know that salvation has come to a person's heart and life. And, and the writer, I started to say Paul, we don't know that it's Paul of Hebrews. Uh, the writer of Hebrews reminds us as Christian people to not be forgetful of our caring for other people. He says, do not forget to entertain strangers, that is to be hospitable to strangers, to show hospitality. By nature, we will do that. But sometimes in our practice, we forget that we are to be hospitable, that we are to care for other people. Jesus gave us a parable of a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and in the process of that trip, he fell among some thieves that stripped him of everything he had and left him naked and wounded lying along the side of the road in the ditch and a priest came by and looked at him and went on. A Levite came by and looked at him and went on. A total stranger comes by that other people would despise and hate and saw the man and picked him up and put him on his own animal and took him to a nearby inn and there made arrangements that the man's wounds and his care would be taken care of, would be paid for. And Jesus said, which one of these was the neighbor? And the lawyer, to whom he had been discussing these things, said, well, I suppose 
It would have been the fellow who picked him up out of the ditch and took him and took care of him. Jesus said, you're exactly right. The one who is neighborly is the one who will do those things. And that is the responsibility of those of us who are Christian. Paul said in Galatians 6.10, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. In verse 1, he said, love your brothers. In verse 2, he's saying, love everybody. Do good to all people. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, Paul says, See that that no man repay evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good. But he doesn't stop there. He says that is good for one another, and for all men. Matthew 5, Jesus speaking, 543, But I say unto you, love your enemies, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. You know, one of the problems we have is We say, well, I don't want to be taken advantage of. I don't want to be taken in by somebody. You know, one of the problems that we have as a church here along the side of the road is the chance that we're going to be taken in. For people stop continually and say we need help with gas, with food. And what do we do? We make arrangements to see to it that they get gas and even buy them food to eat and send them on their way. It is not our responsibility to determine whether or not we have been taken in. There was a young Christian man who worked in the clothing store, just been converted, learned a little scripture, and a man came in and looked at a particular suit and wanted to buy it, and the, the young man who was waiting on him knew that he was going to buy it. And so the fellow said, how much is it? And the young man just jacked the price up 25%. The fellow took it, paid for it, an elevated price, 25%. The man who owned the store overheard and saw the episode and came out and said to the young man, why did you charge him more than the value of the suit? And he said, well, I was just following the scripture. The scripture says he was a stranger and I took him in. (laughs) We may be taken in by people, but our responsibility is to do it out of love and devotion without concern as to whether we might lose something in the meantime. And the word entertain strangers, which is properly interpreted hospitality, comes to rest upon us. As a matter of fact, in, uh, both in 1 Timothy and in Titus, preachers are reminded that they must be hospitable. That's one of the requirements for being a preacher, or in one case it uses the term bishop. He says, be careful that you do not forget to entertain strangers because some people have entertained angels without knowing it. 
It may very well be the Lord Jesus and his angels that are coming down the road and needs the gas or the food and who is presenting himself in human form to determine our willingness to entertain those who are less fortunate than we. You remember Abraham was one of those who sat in his tent door and some strangers came walking. It so happened to be that one of them was the Lord Jesus himself and the other two were angels, but Abraham didn't know that. And he invited them into his tent and took care of them and fed them and sent them on their way. It was these same angels who appeared in the town of Sodom where Lot was living and Lot invited them into his house and in both occasions neither one knew that they were entertaining angels unaware. I sincerely believe that this scripture is given to us to remind us strongly that as we do unto others we may indeed be doing unto the Lord Jesus himself. And so it would behoove us as Christian people to be very cautious of our denying requests that are made to us because we may be indeed denying the Lord Jesus himself. All right, let's go on to verse 2. He says to remember, or verse 3, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer, suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. This is talking about sympathy. Concern for those who are less fortunate than we. I don't think we spend very much time remembering people who are in prison. And we probably say they deserve all they're getting. And we even accuse the, our government of housing them in Holiday Inn type settings. Well, I can tell you that the few times that I have been inside prisons, I, did, I started to say in prison, and you might interpret that wrong. I've never been a, uh, a, a prisoner, but I have been inside prisons on a number of occasions, and I have seen certainly a far lot less than, uh, than holiday in settings. But I am always impressed by the fact that here is a group, and I've only been in men's prison. I've been in a few jails where there have been women. But here are people who probably without doubt deserve all that they are getting, and perhaps even more so, but that doesn't cause us to say that we ought to whip them even harder. It ought to be an institution of correction, an institution designed to put them back out into society, and I don't think that's what our prison system is doing. And I think this is an indictment against our government and against us, even as Christian people, that we are not concerned enough to, that, to see to it that we rehabilitate those who have gone astray of the law. You remember that a man by the name of Bundy just recently was executed in Florida who had killed a great number of women in some of the most heinous sexual crimes that 
this country has ever known. And perhaps you saw the news clip when the people came out from watching the execution and were shouting and the people in the crowd were almost in a uh, circus atmosphere. One of the people who was there and had interviewed Mr. Bundy just a few hours before his execution was uh, James Dobson, a Christian psychologist that I listen to every day, five days a week at least. I listened to his interview with Mr. Bundy. But I listened to him describe the attitude of the people outside that prison when the word had been given that the man had been executed. And he was distraught that anybody would be glad to see another man die. That would shout in exhilaration. And as I watched that news clip, those were the feelings that went through me. What has gotten into our society that we would shout with glee when a man was put to death? Even though we would have to say, no doubt, the punishment equaled his crime and he deserved to die. But that ought to be a time of solemnness and reverence and deep thought and not rioting and revelry and circus atmosphere when a man is put to death. The Lord is telling us here to remember those people who are in our prisons. I think Paul understood well what it meant to be a prisoner and why sometimes I think he must have written Hebrews to have written this verse because he spent many, many days in prison unjustly. Something that this man who sat in this chair that was assembled tonight could not very well say that he deserved the punishment because he didn't have a very good testimony as to why he was a Christian. What about ours? But he goes on to say to remember those who are less fortunate than we, such as those who are homeless in nursing homes and in orphanages. I'm just beginning to realize that the United States has thousands upon thousands of children who live on the streets who have no home. I have known about adults on the streets for many, many years. <clears throat> And I've almost become immune to seeing them in some of the cities, even in Charleston, living in doorways and cardboard boxes and sitting over heating grates to keep warm. But it's beginning to come to my attention very strongly that there are thousands of children under 16 years of age that are there on the streets as well because they have been abandoned by their families. And I'm as aware, aware as I go to the nursing home from time to time, and I particularly go to visit Marcia Cottle. But walking down those halls to see the numbers of older people for whom there seemingly is nobody around to be concerned about them. The Lord 
is telling us as Christian people that there's one thing that we certainly ought to be, and that is that we ought to remember and be aware of those who are in bonds and who suffer adversity. Well, look at verse 5. We're going to skip some because we don't have time to do them all. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he that said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, for he said, I will never leave thee. For he hath said, pardon me, I got my bifocals mixed up with my trifocals, and I couldn't see which line I was on. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I believe probably the most committed sin in all of the world centers around sexual improper attitudes and actions and thoughts. But I believe the second most committed sin is the one referred to here in this verse and that is of covetousness, the desire to have something more than one has. And if it's necessary, take it from those who have. The only thing, probably, that keeps a person from taking what does not belong to him is the fear of being caught. Because deep down, there is a base desire to have more than we now have. If someone asked Nelson Rockefeller on one occasion, and I think I probably told you this, when they asked him how much money would satisfy you, and he said, just a little bit more. I think if I had Nelson Rockefeller's money, I would be satisfied, but I suspect that he has taught me a lesson that if and I shall never have, but if I should ever achieve that status in life, I probably, like he and many other people, would not even be satisfied with that. Who is the rich? I'll tell you who the rich are. The rich are the people that has a little more than I have. I'll never forget a person saying to me on one occasion, Gee, you're rich. My mouth dropped open, for I had never in my lifetime thought of myself as being rich. And you know, I, I have thought about that lots and lots of times. And I know why that person said to me, gee, you're rich. And that was because I had much more than that person had. Keeping up with the Joneses is a difficult task. There was a family of Joneses that people were trying to keep up with, and I use the term Joneses because back where I came from in Ritchie County, that was the phrase. I don't know what you use here. I've never heard anybody say it. To keep up with who? You still say Joneses? Good, I was right on the button. The Joneses called up the other family and said, hey, let's get together. I can't stand this pressure. The 
because the Joneses were having to do more to keep ahead of those who were trying to keep up with them. Our Sunday school lesson this morning dealt with that very issue of priorities. Really what is valuable and worth something in our life. Back in the Old Testament we have the story of Elisha receiving a man by the name of Naaman who had leprosy and told him to go on out and bathe seven times the Jordan River and he would get rid of his leprosy and after it was all done Naaman came back and offered to pay for his healing and he offered uh, lots of clothing and, and money and so on and Elisha turned it down but his servant Geza got to thinking about all that there goes Naaman, a rich man down the road, going back home, cleansed, and he's got all of that loot with him. My boss doesn't want it. Why can't I have it? And so Gaza runs out after Naaman and stops him and says, oh, there's just an event taking place. There's some people come to my uh, master's house who don't have anything. How about we accept that offer so that we might give it to these people? Of course, there were none. Geza intended to keep it for himself. And when he got back, Elisha said, where have you been? And he said, oh, nowhere. What is that stuff you have? Oh, it's nothing. And Elisha said, your penalty is you will receive the leprosy of Naaman. Sometimes our greed gets us in so much trouble that it's just as well that we come down with leprosy. There is nothing wrong with having financial needs. I can find nowhere in the scripture that it says one should not be a millionaire or have whatever one can have. And those things can certainly come to individuals who, who are uh, good managers and uh, God has blessed in some way or other. The problem comes when those things become so great that they can think of nothing more than obtaining, of getting, of receiving to have more than the Joneses have. The scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil. He does not say that money is the root of evil. It says the love of it is. When one gets his priorities mixed up and begins to think that he needs to have a certain amount of something in order to survive, he has his priorities mixed up. If you love money, let me tell you what's going to happen. If you love money... You will be little in faith. You won't have much of it. If you love money, you're not going to do much testifying for the Lord Jesus Christ. Probably none. If you have money, you will not be a person who leads people to the Lord. You will be spending your time, if you love money, you will be spending your time on getting more money. And you won't have time for the church in the service of the Lord. 
scripture tells us here that really that possessions are needless. He concludes verse 5 by saying, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Being rich could be one's very undoing. Paul said to the Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Where's your mind? What's your goal? To have things here or to have something up there? If our goal is to have something here and we put our all of our efforts into it, we may find ourselves coming short up there. Well, let's go to one more verse in conclusion, and that's verse 9. I think it's a very important verse. Be not carried away with divers, that means many or varied. Be not carried away with many and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart is established with grace, not with meats which hath not profited them that have been occupied therein. I've had several people say to me, and some recently, I'm confused about what I ought to believe. I'm confused. And I can understand that. Well, we're living in a day and time when everybody wants to tell everybody that theirs is the only way to do anything. You will find, let me just give you a few groups that are vastly different. The Moonies, Jehovah's Witness, Christian Science, Seventh-day Adventists and Mormons, just for starters. Who will tell you that anything we say here is totally unacceptable? I have said to a few people, it really, to me, I am not very much concerned as to what church you go to. It doesn't bother me that if you are a Methodist or even a Church of Christ or any of the variety of Baptists that there are, but somewhere along the line you've got to settle down and stick to something and stay with it and quit jumping from pillar to post and quit listening to everybody that comes along and says, no, you're wrong, do it my way. And the scripture speaks to that. I want to read three passages of scripture. First of all, I'm going to start in Acts, Acts chapter 20. Turn over there. I'll try to do it so that you can, can read it for yourself. Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. tells us that this very tight thing is going to take place. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Two things are stated here. He says, I know after I leave that grievous wolves are going to come in. There's people going to come in from outside and try to tear you up. 
They're going to come in and try to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. That's why in our church we must scrutinize and be very careful who our leaders are and who the people are that are behind the pulpit. We've got to watch that carefully. Don't say, I have somebody that I want to preach in this church unless you are willing to have that person looked at and scrutinized enough to know that we are going to not going to be led astray and somebody teach some kind of doctrine that we don't accept. But he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 30, even out of your own group, there are people going to arise who are going to come up with all kinds of idiotic ideas. And they're going to try to convince you to go their way. You think that hasn't happened? We don't have to go out of this church building to find that happening. Or am I wrong? Romans chapter 16. Verse 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Now mark this verse carefully. I beseech you, I urge you, I encourage you, I implore you, brethren, mark them, find out who they are, put a finger on them, identify them, which do what, which cause divisions which are cause offenses that are contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Quit paying attention to people who teach things different that are taught here if you're a part of this fellowship. And I would say the same thing for every other church wherever you might go. You've got to stick to something. And if it's contrary to what you yourself can read in God's Word, you better leave it alone. Or find somebody to help you understand it if you don't. Look what verse 18 says. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, just themselves, by good word and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That's exactly what has happened over television time and time again. And we have seen the evidence of it in recent days when people have filled their own belly from the funds that have come from the poor of the world. And when a preacher is a multimillionaire and can fly in a jet and drive a Cadillac, there's something wrong with the process. People haven't been paying attention. They're not to be patronized, nor listened to, nor funded. For they're not serving God, they are serving themselves, and that's exactly what that passage of Scripture has to say. At least that's the way I would interpret it. Second Corinthians, right on next chapter, or, or book. Second Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to quit, I guarantee you. I just want to get this done. You don't have any place to go anyway tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. He 
he's been talking about the kind of people that I've just been mentioning. And he says, for such are false apostles. Did you know there were false apostles? Yes, there are false preachers. Yes, there are people who are in the pulpit and elsewhere doing what? Dece and deceitful workers doing what? Transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Making themselves look like Christian preachers. And no marvel. In other words, don't be amazed at that, the fact that there would be men and women who would pass themselves off as Christian people or Christian preachers as far as that's concerned, don't marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Listen, if you've ever seen the devil, he's the most beautiful thing you ever laid eyes on. Don't you think he's going to come with a red suit on and horns and a tail? He's not going to appear that way. You would reject him in a hurry. He's going to appear like an angel of light, beautiful, tremendous, and so is every deceitful preacher that comes along. And he puts himself up as being something when he is nothing. Verse 13, therefore it is of no great, or verse 15, therefore it is of no great thing if his ministers, that is the devil's ministers, Satan's ministers, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. If the devil can make himself look like an angel of light, then, then there are ministers that can look like ministers of righteousness, which shall... Uh, whose end shall be according to their works. There will be lots of preachers in hell. You can bet on that. Just don't you be there with them. You follow some preachers and you follow them straight to hell. In this verse in Hebrews, where we are concluding, he says it is a good thing that the heart is established with grace. I'll tell you it's a good thing. If the heart was established with what some people preach, it would lead you to hell. When people have to tear somebody else down to build themselves up, you better get away from them. Anybody disagree? It's a good thing that the heart is established with grace. Grace is the unmerited love of God. I want to conclude with Psalm 27.1, which says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Who is the strength? Who is the light? The Lord. Follow him. Stick to what you have been taught and don't stray from it until your own heart and soul tells you that there's something different. Because the devil's going to come along with his people and his preachers and try to convince you otherwise. Now that's practical stuff that he ends up with. But I think it's pretty important stuff. Let us pray. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.